For March 14th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 715, an open world video game where the main character refuses to do the quest. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are cleaning up the mess left by all other cultural commentators on uh, on the internet. We we come in, we sweep up. I am overthinking. No, I'm actually Matt Rather. I'm here uh, with my rogues gallery of, of uh, podcasters, Mr. Matthew Belinky. Hello, Matt. Great to have you. Matt, I believe it's I am L overthinking. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Fenzel is here. Hello, Pete. Well, but if you know the Spanish, it's supposed to be la overthinking because overthinking is female. Right? And <laughs> I wish overthinking were female, but yeah, that it doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> and Mark Lee is here. Oh, the, the, the rock goes all the way to the core, man. And it, it's me. So we are here to talk about uh, the Batman, whatever else he has acquired uh, in this new incarnation. He has inquire he has um, he has acquired a definite article, uh, and that is uh, that is really good considering that this film represents a return to the campy Adam West and Burt Ward uh, incarnation of the Batman. It's just, I mean, it's a bright color, almost day glow. The kind of the saturated, the saturated kind of chroma world of uh michael mann's miami vice you know um and uh it j- just the the kind of the the happy fun time of i don't know uh, uh tinky winky and lala and poe yeah. in the teletubbies or barney the purple dinosaur so well, the call back, the call back to the the call back to the can of bat shark repellent really <laughs> really was excellent fan service I, I mean when he when when they dehydrated dehydrated all the world leaders and used a, like a foxtail and a dustpan to kind of sweep them up into their own vials that was my favorite part how they were how they were all color coded you know <laughs> a lot of a lot of hype for the performance in this one best performance in the movie has got to be Sofia Vergara just as <laughs> as the heiress oh just a comic turn it's got the pathos you know she does the dance it's great i love it uh who knew that she had that mind control ray the whole time <laughs> <laughs> no it's not it's not that it's it's uh unrelentingly gritty with uh with emo batman with uh you know i don't know what the crow batman or connor oberst in bright eyes batman or uh uh edward scissor batman <laughs> Edward Scissorman, <laughs> Ed Bat Scissorman. There it is. Uh, but uh, also, you know, themes that might resonate for our time. Uh, themes of you know loss of faith in institutions, and you know, I don't know, questioning whether uh, a guy in a rubber suit, uh, you know, punching evildoers individually, is actually a uh, a coherent program of urban renewal for the uh, uh, you know for the people of Gotham. I don't know, Matt. You're you're uh, not here with us often, so I want to give you a chance to set the table and start things off. Is this the Batman for our time? 
I think one of the really interesting aspects of the Batman, almost any incarnation of, of Batman, is that even though in a way he is the quintessential vigilante, in another way he's not a vigilante at all because he is always a quasi-official entity, right? Think about the bat signal. That's not something that he shines in the sky as as part of his as part of his, you know, uh his swag. It's something that the the police shine in the sky to summon him or, or, or to sort of like give a stamp of approval to his actions. Think about like the old, uh, the 1960s show where the mayor could straight up call him on the phone or he could show up at a press conference or the Christopher Nolan movie where the district attorney would meet with him to discuss how they would extradite and then prosecute somebody that uh, Batman is, it's sort of like when, uh, the the schools are failing in a city, and so they turn to like a, a charter school, right? They turn to like a uh, let's say like a reclusive billionaire, like a Bruce Wayne, who is going to like put a lot of money into the school. It's a, it's a true private public partnership, and I would argue that what the Batman stories are often about is what happens when institutions are overwhelmed and institutions begin to break down to the point where they don't function anymore, that the police are too corrupt, that the district attorneys can't prosecute crime, that all the politicians are on the take. I mean, if you know, this was very much what the newest the Joker movie was about a few years ago, where it's sort of like institutions break down and society kind of goes off the rails and that's when you get supervillains and that's when you need a batman to clean things up and what was interesting is that the batman in the christopher nolan trilogy was very upfront about the fact that he longed for a day when batman would no longer be you know he had a big speech in the in batman begins where it's like batman is this temporary thing to to take a city that's gone completely haywire and to get it under control but one day batman's no longer being necessary and i can i can hang up the cowl and and retire um but this batman doesn't seem too long for that at all and in fact this batman he doesn't do any philanthropy. He doesn't operate the Wayne Foundation, and he has no interest at all in politics and, and barely notices when the mayor-elect is like asking for his help um, and, and seems to really be putting all his chips on Batman. And I think it's interesting that this is a, a less institutionalist Batman than, than any I can recall. Yeah, yeah, less institutionalist because he's not supporting any of the other institutions even though he's acting within the scope of law enforcement and sees law enforcement as the sort of main mechanism for affecting any sort of, I mean, I would say policy, but that's an overcomplication of what happens. Efficacy in the context of the public sphere, uh, he's neglecting all these other institutions which also do and could exist, right, and could flourish. Uh, it is It is funny to think, oh yeah, Bruce Wayne could do so much more if he weren't going around punching people in most of the other Batmans, he does, right? He goes to galas, right? He, he like, fundraises for charities. He runs all sorts of crazy stuff. Or he also, you know, in, is involved in the economy and, and all these other things. Um, so it's it's easy to dismiss the degree of involvement that Batman has, that Bruce Wayne has generally had in parallel to Batman because Batman is so much cooler. But this movie really strips it all out. This is a sort of, like, man-child Batman who... Is has rejected the legacy of his, or at least he has. Is it? I'll ask that as a question to the group. Has the Batman rejected his family, his, being a member of the Waynes, 
Uh, and if so, why? Well, it's sort of um, it's it's complicated because it, you get the sense that Alfred is not a butler, but is actually kind of the chief executive officer, right, to Bruce Wayne's chairman of the uh, of the Wayne organization. You know, he's not just like butlering; he's he seems like he is doing some like some administration and leadership. You know, he's like having the meeting with the accountants or something like that, right? Which is not a you know a real sort of manservant type of duty. It's more of a uh, more of a business focused kind of duty. So the idea, I, I mean, I think the idea is that he, he, uh, you know, uh, it, the seat is being kept warm for him until he, he snaps out of his, his funk, you know, um, I, I might be diving in a little, a little too far, but, but for me, the lack of the, the lack of the Bruce Wayne stuff in this one was, you know, was kind of a mark against the movie. I mean, it was trying to do something different, I guess. So I can't say it's a mark against. It was doing what it, what it tried to do to have a, just a kind of like, you know, emotional wreck, uh, of a Batman. Um, you know, scarred by the the loss of his parents, by the violence in the streets, by the violence that he witnessed, and and apparently, even though this all seems to have have happened, this is contemporary, so it all seems to have happened like in the two thousands. No one, uh, in within the last twenty years, thought we should we should take uh this young wealthy child to therapy. Like no one thought that that some like uh, mental health uh, focused healthcare would be good for the. Uh, you know, for the young boy who just witnessed the uh, the brutal murder, though I guess kind of assassination of his uh, of his parents, and you know, we we just thought like, hey, let's let's set him up with an endless supply of eyeliner. That was the you know that was the the therapeutic intervention that was indicated for that particular uh, for you know this particular set of maladies. I I don't think so. I don't know. It was missing. I mean, it's it, the the tone of the film was kind of so unrelentingly bleak. Like nothing works. I'm surprised that water comes out of the tap when you turn it on in this in this universe. You know, I'm um, that like. Nothing. The the institutions are are so corrupt that they actually shouldn't like function to to the point of of serving people. There should have been a popular uprising long before this. If it if it really were uh, if it really were that bad, and and you get the sense that like you know the the there is a kind of wealthy elite, a wealthy kind of criminal elite. Uh, anyway, and they have like nightclubs and then like, uh, deeper nightclubs, um, that they, that they go to party in. But, uh, Bruce Wayne never shows up to party. And so it's not just the like the lack of philanthropy, you know, that I was kind of missing. It's, it's the like, you know, I don't know, fast cars and fast cars and fast women. Like it's the, it's the, uh, kind of James Bond part of, of, uh, of Bruce Wayne, like millionaire playboy. That's how he's described. That's how the the alter ego it's not just bruce wayne it's millionaire playboy <laughs> bruce wayne and uh i i think it's uh i think in this one it's updated to you know to to crib a phrase from pete uh to billionaire uh man boy <laughs> bruce wayne <laughs> and not really well, not, not really playboy well to 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 bounce off that a little bit and i don't want to go too far afield i will also suggest that some of these characteristics uh intersect with some of the other plot lines in the movie because if the man ceased to brood and ceased to kind of bottle up his emotions and instead sought some sort of uh you know self 
healing, self, you know, sort of uh, self-development, some sort of opening up, then he would not have that Mr. Rochester-esque Victorian sexual tension as a sort of dilettante aristocrat who is, uh, you know, unsure of his place in the world, uh, meeting with the sort of, you know, hot-headed and uh, independent uh, businesswoman, right? That is the sort of, because uh, this is a gothic romance in Gotham City, as well as a social critique story. And it's interesting to see that some of the things that affect one part of the movie also affect other parts of the movie. Uh, and if Batman were, were, if he were really a playboy, then the romantic stuff wouldn't really work the way that it does because he has to kind of, you know, he has to be very focused on the female protagonist of the movie. You're not like, um, you're not like other girls, Bruce Wayne muttered, brooding, <laughs> broodingly. I'm not like other girls. Me. I'm, a, I'm a cat. <laughs> Said, <laughs> said Selena, <laughs> grooming herself and coughing up hairballs. I mean, this yeah. is sort of a fan fiction movie, right? Sort, sort of. I mean, it's not even it's not even fair thing to call it a romance, though, right? Like it's a. Yeah, it's, why not? Well, I don't. I, he because feels there's pre-sexual. No... It's it's exactly what you were saying. He feels like such a child that he's yeah. not even. He doesn't understand. You know that that it, 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 there's this part where Alfred. It is sort of a self-pitying way. Sort of is like you needed a father, and I couldn't be that for you. All I could do is teach you kung fu, um, <laughs> and you know it's sort of like a throwaway. But it, but it is interesting to think of this as somebody who never grew up because he never had a father to teach him how the world works. And I think you know with maybe the other side of the coin to not understand to not being ready for a, a sexual relationship or a romantic relationship is I, I love the scene where they go to the nightclub and he sees literally through her eyes that all of the, the most powerful men in Gotham are hopelessly corrupt. And it's just such a shock to him. And it's, this is a man who's dedicated his life to fighting crime and has spent the last like two years I guess you'd call this what broken windows policing where he's just literally going to the lowest level, you know, street street level offenders beating up like the poor and destitute who are committing these, you know, assaults. Um, And it has never occurred to him that rich white men could also commit crimes or be (laughs) responsible for society's ills. It's and it absolutely. And, and Selena Kyle is not only not shocked. She's she, she. It's almost like she doesn't understand. You can see her sort of rolling her eyes, wearing the the contact lens, at the idea that that Bruce doesn't understand that all of these men are the root of Gotham's problems. And it it is interesting that despite being you know supposedly the world's greatest detective and the world's greatest crime fighter, he doesn't understand where crime comes from. Yeah, he also doesn't understand what it means for men to be looking at her. Right. Because he likes like, oh, yeah, talk to him, talk to him. And she's like, that's a bad idea, given the situation. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, just keep in mind, like, you know, about 10 minutes before that scene, he is a man looking at her like seriously peeping Tom style. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. Yep. Totally unaware of the the what is wrong with what he's doing and also what is wrong with what everybody else is doing because he isn't capable of putting himself into the but, shoes of somebody else. I mean, right? it all works. Right. This is this yeah. is very intentional. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, he, well, he had he had he at the beginning in his intro monologue, Dear Diary. I, I think that Batman's two years, start date. two years after <laughs> two years of punching criminals doesn't seem to be fixing the problem. Like he, yeah. he admits that straight up. So there's like a glimmer of self-awareness uh, of his own inadequacy and in fixing the broader problems of Gotham. But 
like it takes them the, the whole course of the entire movie to realize that oh okay i actually um not only did not help but actively um caused like the the, the tremendous calamity at the end are we are we ready to, to to start to talk about like the big plan uh and like Spoilers the thematic piece sure the thematic piece yeah. of the um of, of the fourth act it's just i Spoiler yeah it just, batman fails to get laid <laughs> i just want emotional infancy <laughs> i just want to say if you ha- if you haven't seen it it's a story about a, 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 how a man goes from uh darth helmet uh evil will always triumph because good is dumb uh to uh to mr rogers whenever something bad happens look at the helpers and that's, I described uh, it as as a real Paw Patrol twist there, right? <laughs> <laughs> where he goes full on search and rescue instead of instead of uh, inflicting physical violence on uh, on everyone and everything in his way. Yeah, you know, you start as Vic Mackey and then you gradually right. become the commish. Right. Okay. So and, and and I mean, the movie honestly, it's so long that. It, it can be hard to see how explicit it is about this. But the very first time we see Batman, what happens is he saves a man from being assaulted on a train platform. And the man's reaction is just cower in fear and beg Batman not to hurt him. Right. Right. That like the, the people of Gotham, innocent or guilty, are terrified of Batman. He is just a figure of pure menace right and and the last time we see batman in this movie is a woman that is being airlifted by the red cross and the last thing that she does is 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 put her hand in his glove and just sort of like look into her eye look into his eyes for strength and comfort and he has become (laughs) this symbol of resilience and hope and so it's it's a huge transition and i guess the question is whether we buy it that that's that's what batman is or that's what batman can be that's something that's earned. Yeah. And so I mean, just to, to frame this right, but the, the, the important part is we have to get a little bit into the Riddler's convoluted uh, evil plan, um, which is from a certain point. Is of view, it not evil? So, not, not so evil, is right? It, is it okay. evil? Really? This whole thing is for the exposing. first two and a half hours of the movie. Is it evil? Because it gets evil by the end. Gets evil by the end for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes very evil, but yes. like all of a sudden. The gist of his plan is to use Batman as a tool for exposing corruption in Gotham society because basically he leaves these hints and says, hey, go check out this guy over here. And lo and behold, Gotham, uh, Batman go checks out this guy over here. Um, and then like, you know, because then these things become these uh, big public acts of um, uh, crime fighting and, you know, and, and flare ups of violence and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, we, you know, the people of Gotham soon become soon realize that the mayor, the district attorney, the chief of police, et cetera, et cetera, were, oh, and also Thomas Wayne. Um, were varying degrees of corrupt and part of the big problem, right? To, to um, put more specifically, the like the 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 sort of great society welfare project that the city is running is actually a drug cartel, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, and, and the like, Wayne Foundation is the legal yes. vehicle for uh, laundering money. All, all <laughs> of the welfare that is supposed to be happening in the city that is not happening is the direct operation of a drugged cartel run by John Turturro, who is in charge of all of it. So this isn't sort of like, oh, you know, you know, he's this, he's 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 the he's the mayor, but he rides in limousines to work to work when he doesn't have to. And he's he's kind of having fancy parties and he's doing drugs. And this all seems like no, 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 no. Like the whole government is a 
is a shell company for a drug cartel, right? Like that, that's the, that's the reveal, right? Or is it just this charitable fund, which comprises the sort of welfare element of the government's general mission mandate and like claim to relevance. Yeah. Um, and Pete, yeah. I mean, this, this might be me being, being a little too generous to the movie and reading a little deeper than we're supposed to, but there's a scene early in the movie where Alfred is basically begging him to have this much delayed meeting with the Wayne family accountants, right? (laughs) And he's like, no, I don't want it. I'm too busy being Batman and beating up, beating up like, you know, uh, teenagers to meet with the Wayne family accountants. And, and the roots of all of the evil in Gotham city are basically that, that Thomas Wayne left this large unregulated (laughs) fund of money. That's basically just become the, the an engine fueling all the crime that Batman is is ineffectually trying to trying to fight at the bottom of the waterfall. Right. And and it's and it and it's sort of like, you know, I, I don't know if it actually comes to this revelation by the end, but it's the single best thing he could do for Gotham is meet with the Wayne family accountants <laughs> and and realize what's happening to the money yeah. that he might be able to control. Yeah, he See, should take a LinkedIn course on nonprofit governance. <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. Right. Board um, uh, makeup, accounting, getting your IRS nine ninety form in yep. on time. You know, this is all really important stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm not even joking. <laughs> the Batman is an open world video game where the main player refuses to do the quest. Right? He's just like, I want to go beat up. That guy. I want to go beat up that guy. I'm going to go romance. And people are like, you should really meet with the accountants and figure out the money laundering scheme. And he's like, what pants should I wear? <laughs> Okay, so let's get back to the the, the big like fourth act um, crescendo of violence and everything, right? So, d- just to clarify, right? You know, there's all this exposure of um, corruption in Gotham society uh, that you know the, the Riddler has used Batman as a tool for, and you also have the combination of Batman has just like spread fear in every corner of Gotham society, um, and and. and what results from the two of those things, in particular, the Riddler's, um, I guess, QAnon-esque social media presence uh, that creates a small cadre of uh, radicalized, disaffected um, henchmen, right? After the Riddler is put away in prison, then he, the Riddler's henchmen followers um, – uh, uh, the Riddler does two things. He uh, sets off bombs, synchronized bombs in very much Dark Knight Rises style that um, destroy Gotham Seawall – floods Gotham, drives everybody to the arena and where his henchmen are waiting with sniper rifles to assassinate um, lots of people, including the new the new mayor elect of Gotham. Right. And so at that point, then uh, uh, Batman does two things. He well, he does his Batman thing. He punches the villains um, and uh, neutralizes the threat. And then he goes Paw Patrol and uh, rescues people. Yes. You know, it right. occurs to me, does the new mayor have no idea how the finances of the city work either? Because that's bad. That's a bad. No, scene. It, it does seem it does seem kind of improbable that someone get to the point of of notability, right? Of like, uh, you know, awareness among the electorate that they could be elected mayor, and yet they have absolutely no relationship with anyone in the existing power structure. You know, like it's not like it's not like she came up through the corrupt police force or the you know corrupt DA's office or the corrupt uh, sanitation 
corruption department or the corrupt, uh, 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 you know, I don't know, parking, <laughs> parking t- enforcement bureau, yep. library, or- fine collection authority, right. which is actually a child trafficking scheme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, by the way, Matt, I don't know if you're joking about the parking enforcement piece, but that is like legitimately a huge <laughs> public corruption problem <laughs> in New York City. Um, but to, to, to this point here. Yeah, this is that is intentional that she's like coming as this total outsider. Yeah. The character's name is Bella Real with an accent on the A, and she is totally like an AOC um, shibboleth. Right, 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 right. Right. Like, let also so, like a reflection a little bit of the Lego Batman movie, which had a similar idea to it also. But anyway, refresh, refresh remember. Was, was it a similar plot in the Lego Batman movie where there was a female, a woman of color who was running for office? And or who was the mayor and was trying to kind of remake the city and wanted Batman to like collaborate with her. And Batman refused because he was too vain and chauvinistic to consider collaborating with her as, as a woman. But he didn't really say that. Um, and it was sort of like it, it, I thought the Lego Batman movie asked a lot of the same questions that the Batman goes forward to ask in its fourth act. When it is when it, 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 it's bad boys to invasion of Cuba extended 40 <laughs> minutes that doesn't necessarily need to happen in which we interrogate the movie that you just watched and reveal the, the sort of inadequacies of its uh, of, of its um, uh, what uh, conclusions about the world. world yeah, Batman exactly. Also Batman yeah, normativity, exactly. World, yeah. Worldview. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Worldview is the word I'm looking for. Yes, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Batman normativity. Yeah, exactly. Is the 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 sort of existential position that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this is, I think this is really, this is really interesting, and this is like, a, you know, I don't know, I'm gonna bring up my boy Slavoj now, you know, because this is the kind of, uh, this is the kind of destruction, um, that, yeah, I, that he talks about when, when he talks about a, a, you know, a destruction so, so pervading, so severe that it would result in, in the loss of, of privilege, and kind of why this is, why this is uh, America's dream. You know, or at least the developed world's dream. I I should say when I don't know the the these <laughs> these these days bring the reminder that I'm sorry I'm not laughing to to trivialize I'm laughing out of exasperation that that like you know violence is not cool like peace is better and that that uh, uh you know I don't know the mass the mass casualty event just kind of hits different but but more to the point of kind of an overthinking overthinking it thing it it is uh, seems out of line with what the Riddler is, what the Riddler is trying to do, you know, like, and I, I guess that like, I guess he's, you know, disturbed, right? Like they sort of, they sort of lean into that pretty heavily, uh, at at the end, but I don't know. He does a lot of like does a lot of planning and and coordination. You know, he's a he's pretty high functioning for a for a complete psychopath. Um, that uh, you know, his his plan to to I I don't know what like clean up the city uh, is probably like a devolves. <laughs> Sort of into into perhaps a uh, perhaps a less noble um, less noble pursuit. I mean, I suppose there's like a kind of like quixotic nobility to to trying to clean up the corrupt city, even if it's you know I don't know a little a little gruesome, you know. But uh, I, yeah, I'm just kind of rambling. Well, there's about a it difference. Now. There's a difference between identifying people who are guilty and killing them, which you probably shouldn't do, but which makes sense. To killing everybody, right? 
Like that's right. indiscriminately killing everybody. That is not a trivial difference. Yeah, I mean, like, there's like, there's a, there's a biblical uh, Old Testament thing going on at oh, the end, right? Where there's, yeah, a, there's, right, a, there's a flood, you know, punishing everyone, right? But again, that's not. I don't think the Riddler states that as like, you know, this is what I'm now. Here's a time where I unleash my my biblical flood. No, I mean, and of course, that was Batman Begins, right? Batman Begins was all about Liam Neeson saying that the Gotham is so yeah. corrupt that everybody, everyone has to be punished. The innocent right. and the guilty together, the whole place has to be wiped out. I would, I, you know, I'd actually, not to say that I want this movie to be any more complex and convoluted than it is, but it'd be kind of interesting if you, there's a distinction between the Riddler's plan, which is just to punish the few people who are actually guilty and expose their corruption, and then the Riddler groupies who are much less focused and target and, and just want to lash out indiscriminately at everyone yeah. right and it, it it does seem that in this movie at least that the the plan to force everyone into the to the gotham square garden uh the, not not being subtle about that one at all um and to just like wipe out people indiscriminately but it, it just doesn't make sense to me that he's because it, it feels like he's specifically targeting the new mayor and the new mayor doesn't have anything to do with anything um, I mean, here's an interesting question. I'm curious if anyone can answer this. Is at the end of the movie, we see the Riddler in Arkham, and he is distraught. He is so angry watching TV because somehow he feels his plan has failed. And I am I am curious how we're supposed to feel that his plan has failed because the bombs went off, the city was flooded, everybody went in there. I believe a bunch of people were shot. You know, I, I guess not as many people were shot as perhaps he was hoping. But I'm curious how – I mean, and look, when the movie ends, the city is under martial law and flooded. And so it feels like most people would perceive the attack as having been a successful attack. And I'm curious what the – Riddler, you know, insofar as like there's an answer that's coherent. I mean, to me, what do you think the Riddler wanted? To me, it's easy. He want he wanted to be besties with Batman. You know, mm. he, he wanted to be in like vigilante club, and the like the distress, the real emotional distress, you know, begins uh, when when uh, Batman is standing there. Excuse me, the Batman is uh, standing in the prison with the Riddler, and uh, it's like no. No, I'm not. I'm not down with your plan to to blow up the thing and and uh, or he doesn't even know what it is. He hasn't he hasn't riddled it out yet. But I'm not down with the plan to like um, to uh, cause a, a indiscriminate killing of of everybody just because you know I don't know they're they're probably bad. Uh, Mark the biblical allusion I thought you would uh, you were um, alluding to was uh, you know the well known biblical phrase uh, kill them all and let God sort them out and that's uh, <laughs> right that's. It's like uh, yeah. Ephesians three twenty two. <laughs> so the actual reason that the Riddler is so upset is that he realizes that he now has to watch the Hugh Jackman movie Reminiscence, uh, having created the setting. For oh, it. a flooded city! Yeah. <laughs> oh no, that movie is so bad, and now we have to do that one next. Oh, it was terrible. Sorry, that's a overthink. Did this feel like an overthinking it podcast? Greatest hits to anyone else like all, all these movies we've been talking about with like flooded streets and like urban renewal projects that go wrong and 
kind of like tense interracial lo- love relationships with dancing <laughs> and <laughs> 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 like going uptown in motorcycles. Uh, oh, I, I mean, it just it felt a little bit like, man, you know, it's a real cold. Oh, and also none of you know this, I'm guessing. But the movie's plot has a lot of similarities to Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, uh, up to and including the bad guy being obsessed with the good guy trying to be on his team. So he writes him a bunch of like cryptic notes in this Blair Witch ass font that lead him to the orphanage where he was raised and tortured and turned into a crazy person to discover the lies at the heart of what happens. And at that point, the the Venom and Carnage movie plot like spirals completely out of control. Uh, (laughs) But it's like it felt like a Dante's Peak moment to me. It was like, oh, wow, like I'm actually watching the movie pair to Venom 2. I didn't realize it that would be so similar. And maybe this is why Venom 2 makes no sense because someone saw an early draft of the (laughs) Batman and was like, let's make it this instead of what we were doing. Uh, But anyway, anyway, sorry, I digress. I digress. There's much more to talk about with regards to the Batman. It's a very complicated movie. Um, Mark, you know municipal government. What's the easy solution for all of this? Oh, you know, um, (laughs) elect highly charismatic and unqualified people into positions of great authority, um, but not do a lot of the... Uh, technocratic groundwork to reform systems, but also build um, um, build institutional strength uh, from the grassroots um, oh, without okay. without without disenfranchising people, and also recognizing that um, sort of you know any attempt to create um, winners will also create losers, um, and that uh, you know find some nice, quick, and easy way to um, disenfranchise uh, corrupt incumbents. Uh, Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You know, it is interesting. (laughs) One thing one of you guys said, I think it was Matt, that really struck me was in all of the Batman stories, the villains have henchmen. And, they, you know, they run around in their striped T-shirts or whatever, like the Beagle Boys from DuckTales. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and, And these henchmen armies, regardless of how they're comprised, uh, they are the sort of build up to the big villain. Batman has to fight the henchmen in order to get to the big villain. The henchmen do the small crime and the purse snatching and the big villain, you know, explodes the balloon full of nerve gas over the Gotham Pride Day parade or whatever is going on. And it occurs to me that a Batman movie, as far as I know, I haven't really encountered a Batman story that explores the fact that raising a giant army of henchmen is probably going to become a bigger problem than whatever your clown ass was trying to do in the first place. <laughs> like, like, oh, I have 10,000 clown henchmen running around. <laughs> like, you, you think my grand scheme is going to hold together? <laughs> like, uh, uh, I thought if the movie didn't seem like it was exactly doing that, but it could have, and that would have been really cool, where the Riddler is like, no, what have I done? Why did I empower all these goons? Uh, <laughs> Why did face- I give them the keys to all those warehouses? Faceless. So Faceless mask wearing thug number seven, report to henchman resources right now. <laughs> I'm writing I'm writing you up for, for failure to commit indiscriminate violence. Yes. Yeah, like like Batman Rogues Gallery henchmen have a surprising amount of complacency in that they like rarely go beyond their mission statement. Like as afforded to them by their uh elaborately costumed uh uh Uber boss. But whatever, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um uh, and only the only the penguin was really elaborately 
costume. Did that strike you guys? That was the other thing, right? Was that was the that was what felt to me like Spider-Man Far From Home, and that the Penguin felt like he was pulled from a different Batman universe because he was wearing a fat suit. Yeah, he and, was. And a he crazy was a face. Dick, he was a Dick Tracy villain. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so good, right. so good. Hey, before we uh, start to go in other directions here, just like. Um, returning to the big picture thing here about, you know, institutions and, um, an actual viable program for social change, right? Like, do we really expect that from a Batman movie? I'm going to answer my question and, and I'll try to answer my own question. And, uh, it seems like, um, yes, yes, we do. It's, it's, it's unrealistic, but we're, we're still there. We're, the audiences want to see it and filmmakers, smart filmmakers like Matt Reeves, who, by the way, like his Planet of the Eight movies, I'm a big fan of. We have, we did talk about them on the podcast, but. Really good stuff. Um, filmmakers try to try to, you know, Christopher Nolan certainly tried to do this, and you know, Matt Reeves is the latest to try to do this. It, they they are, are, I think, ultimately irreconcilable. That's why so that's why it feels a little bit dissatisfying, right? Because you know, like Batman, like the potency of the symbol and the power of his kinetic violence are, um, you know, you don't, when when you're telling a story like this, um, you, you don't leave a ton of room for institution building right and like you know community engagement meetings yeah the evil will evil will always triumph because good is dumb you know and that's <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting that like you know there's this old line about how it's impossible to make an anti-war war movie and it, is, is it possible to make a truly anti-fascist batman movie because like isn't isn't the fantasy just like wouldn't it be great if we could just you know, drop the red tape. If we didn't have to obey, like if we didn't have to worry about chain of evidence, if we didn't have to worry about probable cause, if we didn't have to like, you know, find a, a DA who had the courage, if we could just smash down the door and get the job done, you know, isn't that the Batman fantasy? That's one of them. I feel like there's a few of them though. Although mm. I also, the thing is uh, I'm also just the big stand for the Adam West Batman which yes, is very out of true. fashion and the super friends Batman, which, and I acknowledge these things are totally different. These are totally different stories that have mostly fallen into the orbits of different superheroes and are sort of big superhero heteroglossia. But like Batman could obsessively follow things like the rules of evidence, right? Batman could try really hard to catch people with boomerangs with ropes on them rather than punch them. Uh, right. Or like really seriously injure them. Um, the idea that Batman has to be this brutal, dark, you know, fearsome creature. It's not universal in all the depictions. At the very least, Batman doesn't necessarily have to be scary to the people who aren't a threat to him. Um, in, in a lot of the formulations, he is. He's scary to everybody. And it's sort of a, a commentary there, I think, on the flawed notion that a city should use fear to reduce crime, right? Like, because you can't, because if you just sort of start a public fear campaign, uh, that, you know, you're going to be hitting the innocent people a lot and really worsening their quality of life. I mean, I guess here's 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 where I arrive at in thinking about this a lot over the last few days since I saw the movie. Gotham isn't always hell. Like that's that's this thing I think about a lot of the newer and by newer, I mean the last 25 years of Batman depictions depict Gotham as this horrible horrible place this miserable place to live and i don't know whether that's like new new york looking back on old new york as this sort of incomprehensible evil 
Um, I don't know whether it's the trauma of the crack wars and whatnot and the brutalities of the 90s and the late 80s that are catching up with everybody. But I think there's an idea of Gotham City wherein it's actually like it's got crime, right? Like it's got bank robbers. It's got, you know, thieves. And even it's got thugs and people doing bad stuff. But like it's not hell on earth. Well, the, and, yeah, Pete, you know, this, oh, sorry, you weren't done. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, it's I mean, if you were going to undercut it by saying what I'm saying is irrelevant, I don't care. No, no, no uh, it's not. <laughs> it, it's not irrelevant. This this yeah. is why there needs to be this is why there needs to be Bruce Wayne millionaire playboy. Right. Because there needs to be awesome parties. You know, right, what, right, what right. I'm saying, Pete, is that that it, it's not it can't just be un you know, unrelentingly grim. There needs to be a city of justice, a city of love. A city of peace <laughs> for every one of us. We all need it. Can't live without it. Gotham City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gotham City. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's the one. Is that R. Kelly? Yes. Is that Prince? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's R. Kelly. Uh, yeah, that's... It's that after happened. the yeah after the Prince after the Prince album the the Prince was like what Lemon Crush and like Bat Dance and Vicky Vale Vicky Vale Bat Dance, um yeah that's uh uh but no that that like that's why that's why it's got to be there there have to be you know I don't know like the the we go to the movies because like there's some pleasurable component to it right like there's something good about it that's that's why we do it we we like to do it in 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 some way right like in the you know i don't know the the morality play of beating up on the bad guys is pleasurable because it's you know like uh uh it's a power fantasy it's about how we could actually fix all of these intractable problems but also like you know i don't know beautiful people in 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 beautiful clothes right like this is why this is why in the fast and furious fan franchise there's like there's always a race that is a big party and everyone like dresses up for it and there's music, yeah. you know, and like, like people are dancing on the hoods of cars, you know, I, I know because the movie always slows down to show the dancing in slow motion. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's a really, uh, it's a really like a uh, technical primer on, on how to dance on the hood yeah. of a car. A lot, the world you know? moves pretty fast and furious. If you don't slow down. <laughs> Every once in a while, like, you might miss it. But yeah, like like this also might be an, in, an income inequality issue where when Bruce Wayne is a millionaire playboy philanthropist, like the idea that that Bruce Wayne is going to go to some gala and people are kind of seeing him out there, like that's part of the fun of living in the city. It's like, look at the, the people that are doing this cool stuff. Once Bruce Wayne is a billionaire and his there's this notion of what he's doing is on a totally different scale than what anyone else could participate in. Like when was the last time you can think of in a Batman story where a regular person was excited to see Bruce Wayne in like a sort of fun way? Right. Like like what connection does he have with regular people because the gap in wealth is so huge now? Um, perhaps because the technology necessary to get a bat plane going is a lot more expensive now than it was in the sixties. At that point, you just get a, you get a prop prop plane with a couple of engines and slap some fiberglass on it and call it a day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bat shark repellent. Wasn't that expensive? Uh, back then, um, this is why, it, this is why it's important that general aviation flourish and thrive in this, you know, in this country, yeah. not, uh, not just, not just corporate aid, not just the, the Gulfstream sixes. No, we need the, the Cessnas and the, the Cirrus airplanes, the, the Bonanzas and whatnot. Um, 
that yeah that that like there's there's nothing to do and it like i don't know it just leads it just leads to this joylessness and sort of the the monochromatic i guess this is like the trope the trope of the darkness right like the 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 film is shot in this incredibly dark way not not thematically dark like actually dark it's you know a lot of blackness on the screen and a lot of kind of difficulty uh indistinct shapes and you know the kind of just a silhouette or like a like a black on dark gray kind of silhouette you know and that's how you know that the person is there or the the scene in the in the hallway that is illuminated only by flashes of gunfire um and you know the bat the bat suit entirely bulletproof uh entirely bulletproof the bat suit and also uh like the black panther suit apparently absorbs all of the kinetic energy from bullets as well as uh not letting them you know penetrate like uh, apparently distributes the force of those so that it's not uh you know taking a shotgun blast at point blank blank range is not exactly like uh getting i don't know uh, uh punched in the gut by a wrecking ball no it's uh it's um kind of like falling over backwards <laughs> sort of sort of gently but i think the the darkness is like a trope of of the the sort of one the the kind of the one sort of pleasure um you know uh, that is that is available uh, which is the pleasure of of fist connecting with face right like there's no uh th- there is no th- if there is sexuality it's all exploitative it's non non generative right like even when someone uh, you know even when someone has a kid uh when Bruce Wayne's parents sort of have him it's a it's a gateway to 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 misery when Selena Kyle's uh, uh father like abandons her mother or like it's insinuated that John Turturro who's who's great in this by the way um John Turturro like had her mother killed something for like uh stepping to him in a in a weird way like this is uh you know I don't know this is the only kind of 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 sexuality that there is there isn't like the i don't know the the dance club looks really grim it looks more like a punch it more, more like a fight club than a dance club and that like uh the the um the sort of the sort of grimness the kind of like monochromaticness monochromaticity monochromatization <laughs> the, the the just the unrelenting single color and that color being being the absence of color is like you know also kind of a uh, a trope of the the I don't know the the depression the kind of the funk that that Bruce Wayne is in and and doesn't really doesn't really lift himself out of um you know until until nearly the end of the movie and he doesn't even really lift himself out of it because it's like the city's under martial law you know I people are going to people are going to be doing bad things again is it is it wrong does to, he say it's going to get it's going to get worse before it gets better yeah, is it wrong to say I'm kind of excited by that you know the, the, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the 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 sorry the the unrelenting darkness, the kind of the the black on black, you know, uh, bleak on bleak, um, black on bleak on blackness of everything is really um, I don't know pronounced. I guess it's a strong aesthetic choice. I'll I'll let others sort <laughs> um, of suss out like the the pleasure that you know you can get out of those things. But I, I did want to highlight um, two hilarious jokes. 
in this movie. <laughs> One of which is the uh, what we alluded to at the at the beginning of this when we were introducing ourselves the uh, the, <laughs> the, the reveal that the penguin speaks Spanish fluently and at least knows enough Spanish to know recognize like the, the you know the, the gendered articles um, and how that's actually important. Um, that was pretty funny, right? I mean, it's just it, it's it's funny because it's unexpected, but it's also like um, it. it yeah, I think that's the main thing. It's just like subversing a certain expectation that you have of, of the penguin of a, a character um, that that we think that we know over the years, um, and 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 like you know, that part of the movie certainly need a little bit of levity. The other thing that was that was that I found really funny. Maybe you others know, feel free to disagree. Was the entire bit about the thumb drive, right? It's just like this extended gruesome dad joke <laughs> with a, with a severed thumb. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. It was like this this cuz this movie is like walking this very fine line between um sincerity and self-parody. And like right on that borderline is the thumb drive joke. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Does, any, it does anyone re- remember laughter? <laughs> <laughs> so what what did you guys think of the masks in this movie? Um, I, I felt like you could tell a lot from a Batman movie by what its masks are trying to accomplish. Um, like in the in the uh, Christopher Nolan ones, I felt like the masks were these continental expressions of kind of will and the kind of projection of will. Sculpted. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And everything was sort of like uh, the replication of yourself in, in the form of others. You know, in the Adam West Batman, the masks are kind of a sex thing. Uh, like you're going to a fancy party, with right? The, with and the, the, the like the eye, the eyebrows are like drawn on. You know what I yeah. mean? There's like ornamentation to the masks. Yeah, I thought the nose on this Batman mask was was sort of interesting. I mean the 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 Riddler mask was a poor design. Like if if uh, all this COVID has taught us anything, it's that like it's you know it's very difficult to wear a mask and glasses at the same time. You know? and then, <laughs> like because you're you know you need really good ventilation. Uh, which is difficult because the the you know whole point of a face mask is to get in the way of of um of ventilation i mean i'll tell you pete this is going a, a little away from from uh uh the the point that you're trying to make but just to kind of keep humping the same piano key that i've been humping about uh you know identities and duality and and uh the kind of monochromatic character of this film right like it's I, the riddler even says to batman when they're you know just when they're facetiming um the uh like uh you know they think it's a mask but well i know i'm looking at the i'm looking at the real you right like and the, part of this is is kind of the the misidentifying um himself with with batman but uh you know part of it is is like the what the um what the 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 theme of the movie seems to be so like with the, with the design of the, with the design of the mask, it's actually more, it looks softer. I mean, it doesn't look like rubber or, you know, uh, I don't know, something that's, that's like hard, hard to get on and off, you know, especially if he's putting on that motorcycle helmet, uh, you know, and taking off, taking off the mask, putting on the motorcycle helmet, taking off the motorcycle helmet, putting on the mask, you know, it's got to be easy to get into, uh, into and out of. So it's less of a mask and, and more of a skin, um, right. And seems kind of like softer and soft, soft, supple, rich Corinthian leather that more, more so than the other kind of more sculpted iterations of the Batman mask. 
I, I thought I thought there was sort of a visual theme through the movie of defacement. Um, the graffiti on the pillars of the neoclassical public building, like the courthouse or whatever sure. it is, city hall. And then the guy, and, the guy who gets his face eaten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they like the guy gets his face eaten by rats. I thought you were joking at first. It's like, no, that is a thing that happens. That is, yes, That's right. In the movie, yep. The woman <laughs> whose face got like horribly beaten. Who there's a picture of her, and they have to figure out who she is, right? Um, and of course, like all of the like the the duct tape that's just entirely over the guy's face, right? With the with the lies written on it and stuff, and the Riddler's mask, which looks so awful, it's like a torture implement. And it seemed like rather than the because I don't think I don't I mean, the Riddler says that because that's what he thinks. But I don't necessarily think the Riddler's right, because the masks, if if the masks in this movie are about people trying to sort of do violence to themselves to uh, come to terms with a sort of diachronic identity that they can't tolerate, um like this is who I am and be based on who I was and based on who my parents were, that to me is psychologically intolerable. So I am going to cover my own face as a way of sort of proving to myself that that's not who I am while at the same time really failing at doing that because everything that I thought I was dealing with by defacing myself and kind of committing myself to violence uh, is in fact being sublimated uh, through my uh, not just my conscious and subconscious actions, but my conscious and subconscious inactions, right? The sort of idea that by covering his face so much, you know, Bruce Wayne is uh, giving lie to who he is, and and kind of uh, he he. There's a certain satisfaction in the idea that society might be better if he didn't exist, but it turns out that that's kind of not the case, um, because really the the problem with him is not that he exists, but, but, uh, you know, what is he, what is he doing or not doing based on his situation? Like we have a situation that involves a lot of moral luck. We don't appear to have a situation where we could engineer a better world like immediately. And as such, the people who have kind of morally lucked into these sort of compromised positions, uh, need to own up to it and, and, and need to own up to where they're at. And if they're going to make things better, need to make things better. And instead they go around hiding, and covering their faces and hiding in the shadows, even to the point of going to these clubs with these horrible strobe effects where nobody can see them, right? Um, and uh, and I thought that was interesting as a way of because we talk about the failure of institutions, but I think in a lot of the political discourse around institutions is left out the failure of the people who are in the institutions. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of theory about institutions, which institutions work well, which institutions work poorly. But there's also I just think of so many examples of situations where you know. A particular the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time can do a lot of damage, um, regardless of the safeguards, um, regardless of how healthy and good you think your institution is. It still relies on people uh, and, and the people. If you get to a point where the institutions seem like the only thing and the people don't seem to exist, well, then the people who are responsible for what the institutions do uh, can get to a place where they feel like they have no moral obligations or agency either. Um, they're just part of the machine. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, I thought the mask did a really good job of making it plausible that people didn't recognize this guy, which was interesting. Mm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, it had a like shape to his head, uh, that, that was, oh yeah, I don't think people would know that that was Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with yeah. Ben Affleck is like, ah, eh, you know, <laughs> probably. 
I also think in terms of the plausibility, it was helped in this movie that Bruce Wayne seems like a quasi-reclusive figure. Right. That right. is seldom seen. So that, like, people don't really know what Bruce Wayne looks like or he's not in the tabloids every single day. And even that, like, you know, I think in, in a lot of contrast to, to Bale's Batman, he didn't really do a voice for Batman. Yeah. But once again, it's like Bruce Wayne is not giving press conferences all the time. He's not, like, appearing with the mayor at big fundraisers. So that, like, you can kind of believe that the fact that Bruce Wayne doesn't really have a public presence means that he can just basically be Batman and not worry that everyone's going to be like, you sound a lot like Bruce Wayne, dude. Yeah. <laughs> also, is Batman doing anything that would really be a problem if he were Bruce Wayne? I mean, he's beating up a lot of people <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> but, like, when we see Batman doing his thing in the in the main story, which is sort of serving as a police consultant – um, most of what he does isn't really that bad or even that notable. It's like he's wearing a very strange outfit, but that could be any number of other fictional characters who operate as police consultants. Um, there wasn't a particular Batman-ness to the way that he went to the crime scenes, I guess. But maybe that's just because I'm reading the Dresden Files. And, uh, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, that, that guy could be a wizard. It would be the same. Right? Like, Got it. <laughs> CSI Gotham. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this constant, you know, discussion about Batman doesn't kill people and how true or not true is that really? And the scene that that really raised my eyebrow here is how many people died in that car chase? Yeah. <laughs> like that was absolute carnage on the highways of Gotham. It was the scene where Batman tasered a guy in the face, <laughs> right? Doesn't that yeah, but he, the guy, that guy was asking for it. <laughs> but that's very deadly. That's not you don't taser people in the brain. This is bad. But no, you're right. Yeah, I guess that guy was bad, so it's fine. Yeah, he didn't really have a leg to stand on with regards to not killing people. Uh, that was the, the reason. If Batman is going to coach Selena Kyle to not kill people, the reason is not like you don't want to be like them, right? It's probably more along the lines of like you're. Re- this is a really upsetting situation for you, and I understand that. And like, slow down, right? Like, uh, it's it's really easy to to overdo things. Um, when you're this yeah. upset or something along those lines, right? Like if you kill this guy, then you're going to catch a murder rap, right? Like you don't want to do that. Then people will look for you. Uh, if you don't kill him, then no one will care and you could just leave. Um, something along those lines. There are any number of reasons why Catwoman shouldn't murder her father, right? Like, uh, like a lot of them. And it doesn't have to be just because of Batman rules, uh, which Batman flounce all the time anyway. So I don't know. <laughs> Anything, anything you guys like the, the Italian, all the, all the mobsters are Italian. Like this is, this is a little retrograde culturally. <laughs> like it's a little, little kind of an uncomfortable stereotype maybe in 2021 that, that all the, all the organized crime figures are, are Italian. Would you and, prefer they'd be like what Chinese triads, uh, <laughs> Russian, Russian, well, Russian organized crime? Like well, one thing that it breaks is the relationship between the historical relationship between organized crime and the inadequate provision of public services, right? Like the reason that a lot of organized crime, at least at least my understanding from like you know various academic study of it, is that a main reason why a lot of organized crime tends to come out of you know, immigrant communities is because those are not places that are served by the normal police very well at the time when they come to exist. Right. And like, which is the same reason that, you know, you can think of any any particular communities where the public services are not being delivered in the way that they should be. Is there an organized criminal element that's providing something like a natural monopoly on the use of coercive force? Right. Like settling disputes between people because they don't have access to the courts. Right. Like, uh, you know, having a lottery. 
right? Like uh, on TFT, like we used to do, on TFT we used to talk about this as the difference between roving banditry and stationary banditry. And stationary yeah. banditry comes to assume a lot of the functions of a state. Uh, and you know, someone will do that work, you know, in the absence of of that work being done by a you know, by a declared government, like it's still, you know, there's still, uh, uh, there's still desks to pile on top of each other to create a giant pile of desks so that you can have your kangaroo court, you know? Yeah. 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 The point being that it's weird that it's Italians now, as opposed to Italians, like 60 or 70 years ago. Right. Um, you know, like, uh, it's different, even if the story was a period piece and was set back then, like the Godfather, right? Like it's a, it's a different culture. Um, I don't know. It would have been, it would not have been better. Yeah. It should have been, it's, they should have fished around for somebody to make it that would have been really inoffensive to everybody. Like they're just all like, it's like the warriors and they're just like all wearing elaborate costumes and have no identifiable human ethnicity. It's like, this gang is the baseball players and this gang is the <laughs> rides a unicycle. <laughs> like, <laughs> the baseball furies are horribly offensive to fans of kiss. Unicycle. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Stanley um, is yeah. Sending letters. No, no, no. So, I mean like just I don't know, on a kind of a, like a better or technical note, right? Um, Carmine Falcone is like part of the very well-established um, rogues gallery of Batman villains, right? With just movie like goes well out of its way to like, you know, just check a bunch of them off the list, right? Including the Joker, um, right. who was who definitely in Arkham prison at the end there. Um, so like, um, remember Batman Begins also, right? In 2004, I think um, uh, Carmine Falcone was, was a, was a prominent villain. Although not the big bad in that, he, he was a prominent villain there. So like, um, yeah, it's not to say you, you you can't do a Batman movie without an Italian American mobster. Um, but yeah, I, I hear you. That is, is, I mean, it's not actually a problem because obviously there was still Italian organized criminals. It was just interesting that it was so Italian. Um, maybe it wasn't. Maybe I'm just extrapolating from just a couple of people. After all, the Penguin spoke Spanish. For all I know, he was Colombian. Uh, like, <laughs> I don't know what ethnicity I use Irish, right? Cause he's Colin Farrell. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it is. It is funny, especially when he said, say hello to my little wings. That was the, <laughs> <laughs> this is a, I mean, Matt, we so rarely get to have you on the, on the podcast, Blakey, what, what you still, I'm sure you have a lot more thoughts on this movie. I need to stop pontificating and let, let the people get in where they fit in. I mean, it was, it's, it's funny to look at it in the context of, modern superhero movies because it it felt very different from marvel movies i think it's safe to say but it was actually like you know it, it was funny because until i came home uh, and i was really thinking about it did i actually question like wait was that movie rated r because while i was watching it, i'm like well this is a this is an r-rated batman this is a very adult intense batman movie but it wasn't that was a pg-13 batman movie um which, but it it felt. I mean, really, they they pulled their punches with the language, but like the tone, I felt like some of the violence, or I don't know. To to, to me, that was and maybe I'm just getting squeamish in my old age, but just sort of the intensity of some of those scenes, like the guy with the the bomb, you know, attached to his neck. It just felt like, yeah, even if there's not a lot of on screen blood or bad words or boobs. It, it felt like an R-rated level of intensity compared with, like, I don't know, Spider-Man, you know, which is a PG-13. Um, but it was it was interesting because it wasn't really an action movie, right? There's some fighting, and there's some, I think, some actually some very good fight choreography that felt sort of, like, very gritty and kinetic. Um, you know, that, like, Batman, every time he fights, he takes hits, right? That, like, he is never 
this untouchable ninja. Um, but it's just interesting to, to, to think about it. I'm, I'm actually really pleased it succeeded. I think despite its shortcomings, I think in some ways this was more outside the box than the Nolan Batman movies, which I think were in, in some ways more typical superhero movies that, that cued a little closer to some of the cliches and some of the expectations of like a big budget superhero blockbuster. And this felt really, I mean, it feels a lot more like, like seven than like, you know, the, the 1989 Batman. Um, yeah. It was a, no, it was a noir movie. It's like a David Fincher thriller. Um, yeah, and that's a refreshing change of pace. Yeah, and it, it makes me like, happy that this, DC movies this is to say nothing at all of the Marvel. Yeah, right. Yeah. That it's it's a movie that like the focus is on the is on the story, is on the characters, and it's not on these big action set pieces. And in fact, the big action set pieces feel almost like they were clumsily inserted into the script. Like the car chase did not have to be there. Like he knows where the penguin lives. He doesn't, he doesn't need, it's not like the penguin has anything in his car. He really just wants to talk to the penguin and he could easily let the penguin go and spare the lives of all those people on the highway and just catch up with the penguin later. Um, but they wanted a car chase in there. And then there's, there's, you know, the big flooding scene at the end, which we've already discussed feels almost like they, they had a draft of the script that tells this complete story about the Riddler sort of seeking his revenge and, and revealing these evildoers and dragging them into the light. And the studio insisted that they add this big set piece. Right. And so that they had to be like, well, maybe he also has a bunch of bombs, um, even where though you put a portal, where would a portal fit? Yeah, where would a portal fit? <laughs> in the wall, so, in the seawall is where the portal fits. It's, 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 I, I feel like what I'm saying is it's kind of cool to see a movie. Usually you feel like these superhero movies, they come up with the set pieces. They come up with the action first and they, they kind of work backwards from it. You know, they, or, or certainly like when they're going to write a new X-Men movie, they just brainstorm a list of metal things, big metal things, right? <laughs> and they're like, okay, what's a big metal thing? Can we write a plot that ends with that big metal thing? Right. Um, and but this felt like the opposite. This felt like they wrote like a, a a zodiac killer type thriller, and then later they're just sort of like, okay, how can we get some special effects in here, even though we don't really need them or or want them. <laughs> Yeah, it is cool also how much implied violence you can put in a movie just by shaping the metal implements the right way. Like it just looks like <laughs> saw, right? Like like those scissors are really gross looking. Uh, they look like they plucked someone's eyeballs out previously. Um, not not you don't they didn't do it in this movie, but in another movie, you know, that's what those things were used for. Uh, but yeah, it was a little distracting when Batman was knocked off that scaffolding and said, darn it to heck. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Mar Mark, I wanted to throw us a, uh, a question back to you as our sort of uh, classic rock expert. And I think you might already know what it's going to be. Is that like sort of the theme song of this Batman movie, you know, more than than Michael Giacone's uh, uh, sort of four four node uh, Jaws esque refrain was uh, Nirvana. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, like what what we make of that, the fact that there's this sort of like Nirvana is back in a big way as the sort of anthem of the the new, you know, 2022 era Batman. Um, thematically, I need to think a little about that a little bit more. But harmonically, I believe that the chords essentially is the same progression um, in the Nirvana song as you hear in the Michael Giacchone, Giacchone uh, uh, symphonic score. 
that bomb, 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 bomb. It actually um, lines up with that little guitar riff that um, in the beginning of the Nirvana song. Um, I don't know, Matt. Rather, can you um, can you confirm that? I just like uh, it was really surprising to hear Nirvana's Ave Maria so often in the you know. <laughs> I didn't know they were Catholic. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's called Nirvana, not heaven. Jeez, yeah, it's uh, yeah. surprising. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean I thought I I don't know I I like. I I I liked the score and thought it was effective. It was the it was not a a even though it was kind of droney, it was not a a uh, Hans Zimmer blom kind of drone. The drone had a the drone had a unique character. Uh, it's it, it seemed to me, but I didn't other other than just noticing all the Ave Maria. I didn't totally uh didn't totally track all the sound cues in it. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of just going back to the drone a little bit. I like the idea of the Batman as this plodding, unstoppable force of nature that just sort of like there's no because think about the Christopher Nolan Batman like that was he's supposed to be a ninja, right? And you think about his first big attack when he takes out the mob boss and Batman begins. And it's this, this terrifying scene where he comes out of the shadows for a split second, grabs somebody and that person just disappears into the darkness, you know, and he's just attacking from all sides and nobody can get a glimpse of him. And he is this, this figure that sort of dissolves like fog, right? This ghost. And this Batman is the complete opposite. Is that like, you hear him coming from a mile away, this slow (laughs) plodding, you know, the boots, heavily sort of hitting the concrete and then he comes and you see him walking out and it's this sort of like you know there is no subtlety to his approach at all he does not surprise anybody and and it's it's the exact opposite that like he wants you to know he is coming and to be terrified by the time he gets there do you do you hear that mr evildoer (laughs) It is the sound of me walking slowly across the floor. It is the sound of bat evitability. <laughs> We're talking about the sound design as well. We must, must uh, sing the praises of the ripping Batmobile engine revving up. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it was like for you in the theater, but I'd like, I, I, I had to pay extra for the Dolby theater it sounded much better mixing doubly um but that that the sound of the of the, of the engine doubly. revving up just like uh shook me to my core and like was really transformative in the way that um you really want when you venture out and go to a movie theater the thing we love about the movies and have missed so much uh, you know during the championship season um but uh, that like and just extrapolating that out right like you know the sound uh, the 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 visuals of this um were all like a pretty coherent creative statement creative project um and you know and, and that's what provides the pleasure to answer the question that we, we brought up earlier is like you know you you really kind of like see something a complete idea of sound and um and sound and picture story like a little hit and miss here and there but um i really do admire the aesthetics of this yeah i saw this movie in the front row it's one of the better movies i've watched from the front row for watching in the front row 
Um, it was oh, a real wow, atomic yeah. batteries to power turbines to speed moment when that yeah. car up. But yeah, the, the only thing I really wanted to happen that that I didn't quite get is that the penguin. There's that scene where it looks like the penguin has escaped because he causes this massive uh, tractor trailer to tip over behind him, and it seems like he's got away. And then I wanted the scene where the Batman just like flips open his switch and he pushes the NOS, and there's a scene where <laughs> where you see inside the engine and you see the NOS just like go into the fuel intake and like the car Car just like takes off. He does that with his leg. <laughs> <laughs> he injects himself with the venom, right? With the <laughs> but not with his car. With that with very with, sweet. with yeah <laughs> with adrenaline. Surely no, not the uh... what? No, that's nos. <laughs> That's yeah, it's, it's, it's just nos. That's what it is. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, wouldn't that be flammable though? Wouldn't it be a very bad idea? What if you're driving to inject through... nitrous oxide directly into your bloodstream? No, <laughs> Matt, go for it. He lives his he lives his life a two faced quarter at a time. That's <laughs> what I, I got right now. I guess I guess if we're I, if we're doing uh, woulda coulda shoulda, like I I wanted the Riddler to be the son of the dead reporter. That's the that's the connection I wanted, right? Because like you know, it, I don't know if you've ever met a forensic accountant, but they are they're a mild bunch by and large, <laughs> and that like uh, I don't want you know I I don't see one just taking up arms in in this uh, you know vigilante army type of way. I wanted him to have like a personal stake in the uh, a personal stake in in the game, and and maybe a a reason why he became so kind of monomaniacally fixated upon. Uh, the, you know, figuring out where all the money went with the uh, with the Wayne Foundation and the the renewal project. Yeah, I'm I'm also disappointed because I feel like Batman villains don't they always have these very personal backstories? And I suppose this one did too in that like he grew up in a orphanage that was terrible, and he blamed the sort of failures of society and Thomas Wayne in particular for everything bad that happened to him. But I I do like the idea that he has a direct connection, especially because, you know, the what he uncovers is supposed to be the deepest, darkest secret that nobody knows about. And yet this guy just through the power of, of Googling or Freedom of Information Act requests <laughs> seems to have unraveled the whole thing. And it, it I think it would be more satisfying to me if this was like a if he was a loose end. Right. If he was somebody who who knew something about it and right, he had like his father's records and that's what. And so it was in a way like Thomas Wayne's act, right, of sort of inadvertently getting this guy killed. Right. Allowed the the sort of like you know that his son was orphaned and his son gradually becomes insane. Yeah, and when he gets his father's yeah on his eighteenth like, birthday, Batman, you know, right? on his eighteenth birthday when he gets like his father's effects or something like that, he he you know discovers the the cryptographically you know encoded whatever and dedicates his life to blah uh, you know yada 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 like that's yeah that's a that's a Batman villain for sure. I think the only know? reason why they didn't do that is because. Like there's the whole, you know, Bruce Wayne is Thomas Wayne's son, and then oh, reveal, uh, Selena Kyle is Carmine Falcone's. Oh, good point. His son, so it's not daughter. It was just made like one thing too much. I mean, it's 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 it, the movie doesn't rule out the possibility yeah. of the theory, though. I mean, where I think I, the mayor should have been Commissioner Gordon's daughter. No, they should all just be related. Yeah. <laughs> now, these a, are good ideas. I like the idea. It's a, fa- to, it's a family well, affair. Way to hype yeah. that game. Yeah, exactly. If it's if the penguin and the Joker are brothers, I don't know. I feel like there's been a lot of Batman. I feel like these things all happen in the Gotham TV show, right? Um, where like 
they all hung out at a family barbecue or something. They had to have come up with <laughs> stories like that for that show, right? Yeah, um, but did we watch that show? I didn't watch that show at all, so I only imagined what it was like. I saw a few episodes. It was nothing, nothing right home about. Okay, fair Ryan, enough. Because we are writing all. So okay, Ryan can I do one more quick? What it could have shared. These are Please. these are fun actually. I for like a hot second they were leaning into a sort of like maybe Thomas Wayne is also corrupt plot and i really like that idea that this because bruce's whole identity is based on the fact that his dad was like the one good man in a corrupt city and he is he's trying to to avenge that legacy and i i love the idea that like no maybe thomas was also had feet of clay right and 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 they sort of swerve out of it when when uh Gollum is sort of like well he had a moment of weakness but only because he loved his wife and he didn't want it to go down that way so you really can't you shouldn't really be that disappointed in him, um, which I really like. I, I don't know if anybody remembers Man of Steel. It felt like forever ago. But didn't they have – and I I forget if they if they pulled this punch too. But wasn't there something where it was sort of like um, Russell Crowe as Superman's dad actually has this diabolical plan to sort of destroy all life on Earth and replace it with the, the sort of uh, the DNA of all the Kryptonians? And so it's like his dad is actually – the sort of architect of this plot that Superman has to stop. Did they, did they do that or did they sort of like imply it, but then didn't really go all the way with it? Is that when Russell Crowe shouts, are you not entertained? <laughs> I think my main would have could have should is that they put the Shakespeare bust in the, in the Batman study, which was awesome, but nobody twists his head off and pushes a button. <laughs> 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 that would have been really nice. Uh, that something for the sequel. There was an actual bat phone in this movie. It was great. I love that there was a rotary bat phone, right? That's got to say something about Thomas Wayne, right? That he has a bat phone in his house yeah. before Batman was born. <laughs> I'm not even, you as a fan of the old school show should like that they, they had the, the female housekeeper. Yes, that's right. She was there. That's so great. She's that's like totally she's great. a vintage character that we haven't seen recent in, in recent incarnations of Batman. Alfred has been very, very busy basically doing all the roles. I, I feel like there's a little bit of a Downton Abbey vibe to Batman where it's sort of like the Waynes really need a full staff, right? They need yeah. footmen. They they need you know and, it's upstairs and, downstairs yeah I can totally see like Alfred is like a Carson being like you know in my day we never would have served the Waynes with less than with less than like you know five footmen and a, and eight valets but he has to do everything by himself now. Yeah. Does he have so, a bunch of Roombas that double as like self defense drones? <laughs> <laughs> holy holy exploding Roomba Batman! Yeah. <laughs> well, she did say she wanted to dance. Oh. <laughs> Is that, oh, is, that, is that a good exit oh, no. line? Let's go. Let's go. Let's call it on on that. Thank you all very much for listening. Thank you, uh, Blinks. It's always great to have you with us. Thanks for coming and good to be here. Uh, thanks for chatting with me about this, Mark. Absolutely, pleasure to talk with you. Uh, we uh, this has been <laughs> Overthinking It podcast. We'll be back next week. Visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve.
Oh, you missed an opportunity to say, uh, well, you can find us at the same bat URL, same bat RSS feed. <laughs> <laughs> same bat Discord, same bat website. Yeah. URL overthinking. Uh, you know what else I was thinking? I was thinking, you know what else is a um, four note uh, motif? The Batman! <laughs>